0: the endurance asia podcast Yo, pick your red up because things ain't that bad maybe you should switch the target that you're aiming at believe perfection is a beast that they'll never catch so never
1: waste another day because life moves so fast and a dream without pursuing yo, they never last another shadow of regret i tried to never cast and always tell a truthful story if they ever ask stop the complaining because things ain't that bad <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Endurance Asia podcast. This is episode 70 and I'm your host, Scott Pugh. This week, we welcome Jim Webster and Ben Pullum from Coached, the company based in Singapore that does both coaching and lab testing for athletes we had these gentlemen on close to four years ago and extremely insightful ben as a previous professional triathlete for new zealand uh, and ben with the sort of technical know-how when it comes to all of the testing and lab work that they do for their athletes Uh, really fascinating chat very insightful gentleman I learned a lot again from catching up with them. They're are a they are a great couple of dudes and I'm sure you'll learn a lot too. So we'll also put links in the show notes to the previous episode they're on because we went a lot deeper on all of the uh, all of the testing that they um, that they offer at the uh, at, at the coach lab as well. So with that, here is Ben Pullum and Jim Webster. So a truthful story of they ever ask Stop the complaining, cause things ain't that bad. Ben Pullum, Jim Webster, of coached. Welcome back on to the Insurance Asia Podcast. It's been four years, almost like September 2019 that we uh, we last called up on the podcast. I've been into your studio, and it's you've, you've moved into new premises now. But uh, but yeah, how's it going?
2: Yeah, it's hard to believe, isn't it? it? Seems like just the other day we were sitting down and, and chatting and. Since then, four years has passed. The world has changed. It sure has. And yeah, we're yeah. now in a different space.
1: Yeah, a new cool spot. And um, I'm glad to see businesses still going strong. It must have been a roller coaster ride during the, uh, during the COVID time. You and I both, it was definitely
2: a stressful period. Fortunately, we have a good online client base who mm. were very supportive of us and who continued to train with us. And that helped to stem the bleeding. We also created and changed our business model a little bit to sort of deal with the loss in revenue through the lab. And fortunately, we're still in business. Things are going well. The races are back. People are happy. And business is starting to trend up again, which is fantastic.
1: Yeah. I think from for coaching business, a lot of people, they want to be coached when they're working towards a big goal, like an A race or something. So I'm sure, having said that, there were a lot of people that came out of the woodwork that had never kind of trained before as well. So I'm sure you got sort of like a, a lot of top of the funnel, new people coming in that wanted to know what to do. And uh, um, so, yeah, I'm sure it was balanced. But yeah, great to see the, um, the, the track sessions have started again for you. And obviously you moved into a new studio and everything. Um, but yeah, so give us a bit of an update again of the business then. So what, what coach does, what the sort of focus of the, uh, of the business is. Sure,
2: so we help runners and triathletes primarily to optimize track and enjoy the training that they do. So we do that in a couple of ways. One is through our performance lab. Which Jim can maybe speak about. He runs our performance lab. We're down in CBD Singapore. We do a range of metabolic testing, lactate testing, sweat testing, VO2 max. Um, basically, give you a way to measure your body, adapt your training, and then track its progress. Um, since COVID 2, we've also gone uh, a little more into functional training. One of the things that we knew this before COVID anyway, and we were working in that direction. But so many runners, particularly, but triathletes also suffer from injuries. And these are primarily coming from, you know, muscle imbalances and a lack of strength in in various places or a lack of mobility in various places. So we now have the capacity to work one-on-one with athletes in, in small groups to improve their range of motion, their mobility, their strength and power, and to try and make them more resilient athletes, both from an injury prevention point of view, but also from a performance point of view, where we want them putting power through the pedals and through the ground. And um, having some kick kickouts results.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, because before the sort of, and I noticed in your in your new space here as well, you've got um, you've got sort of weight equipment and gym equipment here as well. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested on that sort of. In fact, we, firstly, we'll actually chat about the uh, about the sort of studio that you've got here and some of the testing you do, Jim. So. Um, w- why, I've actually been through the lactate threshold and uh, and also the uh, fuel efficiency test a couple of times. Are they still sort of two of the primary uh, tests that you're doing with with athletes at the moment?
3: Yeah, I'd say so. Run lactate testing, run metabolic testing, and then the advanced sweat test is probably the top three. They're the most yeah. popular, and usually one person will come in and do all three if they have the budget for it, of course, but um, it can really give you a a load of information and value, right? And so um, because it's always hot and humid in Singapore, the sweat testing actually outside of running and triathlon is also quite popular. Like tennis is actually ironically something that's uh, becoming more and more popular in that kind of uh, sport. But um, yeah, we pick up a lot of athletes for mainly those three. Um, and then after that, you could look at other kind of more bike-specific testing for those. And then, you know, resting metabolic race tests and the VO2 max tests. So
1: Yeah, and, and so uh, we are going to share links to the original, um, original podcast we did with you and where we talked through the sort of details and I suppose the outcome. But if you can just... Just get very high level to the, the um, what are the, of those three core tests that you do with people, what are the sort of outcomes that look, people are looking to take from them to be able to adapt their training or to be able to influence how they approach their, their training?
3: I'd say the most uh, popular data that people are looking for is understanding their training zones, because without that, it's very hard to make sure you're stressing the body to the correct degree. So... Uh, getting heart rate training zones and pace training zones for the running in particular is is by far the most popular and once you've established those with the run metabolic tests you can look within your easy steady mod hard hard and very hard how your body is responding and utilizing fat and carbohydrates so yeah. by coupling those two together um, it seems to be quite a like I say uh, all-rounded and valuable visit for people you know yeah. um, but the training zones for sure most popular because you know people need that to maximize their ROI on all their training they're doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and cause obviously as you go into a training block you'll improve during that time so, and, and your training zones do kind of change a bit as well, right, so how often do you kind of suggest for people to come in and Retest and uh what would you say at the beginning of a training block or um yeah what's the kind of recommendation
3: yeah around about there i don't see people often in a year i'm kind of like a doctor hopefully more enjoyable though you know you're looking at two maybe three times a year lactate threshold test is not <laughs> enjoyable it's no. like 25 minutes of
1: intense uh well it's not quite as bad as the vo2 but no yeah.
3: um but i would say you know every three to four months is a good frequency it depends on how invested you are right um yeah. but the, the training zones can hold uh to form for a good say six months before you might want to call them into question and get some kind of update whether it's coming into the lab or at least doing a field-based test yeah. to get some frame of reference um but yeah. yeah due to that fact i don't see people often um yeah. so you know and a lot can happen in three to four months so for those that we coach the group training and other uh, you know aspects of what we do is a good way to keep in touch with them to make sure that they're applying the training properly and putting the zones to use right
1: yeah so when you say metabolic testing what, what are you are you talking about so that'll
3: be the run fuel efficiency test sure, so yeah, yeah uh, we've kind of gone back and forth a bit with how it's uh, named right ben because we've t- well as it turns out when people search for you know fuel efficiency, a lot of car um, links pop up, oh, okay, yeah, which was yeah. actually so for SEO. Yeah, like, uh, so we turned out. It turns out that we should. Uh, <laughs> we've since moved back towards saying metabolic because it's more applicable, right? It's more on the nose. Yeah. Talking about your metabolism and how your body utilises fat and carbs. So, yeah, apologies for the the change in, in terminology there.
1: Yeah. Okay. That that makes sense. So. When we caught up last time, it was and, and I remember when we first met. Actually, Ben, you were very um, having been a professional athlete yourself and had been very much focused on all of your training. Was absolutely hammering yourself as a professional triathlete, and you were basically just fueling yourselves on like you know five thousand calories of carbs a day. Um, and and you know you've realised that that wasn't the optimal way to for performance, uh, and you know. You, you we were chatting before, and you've kind of mentioned you've been kind of labelled a little bit as the low carb, high fat um, uh, sort of coaching regime and me- methodology, which is not uh, yeah, which is not entirely your sort of philosophy. But yeah, I'm interested in how that's evolved over the last few years, whether that's still like the approach that you you take and what your thoughts are around it. Yeah. So a- as an
2: athlete, I was very lean. I trained up to thirty hours a week. I was a furnace, right? I was burning a ton of fat, but I was also incredibly reliant on carbohydrates. And so, you know, I was ignorant at the time. I lived on Coca-Cola, three liters a day for probably 15, 20 years two, two to three liters of Coca-Cola a day for probably 20 years. Um, you know, pizza, pasta, potatoes, I was carbo loaded. Yeah. And in 2007, I did the Olympic trials. Um, After that, I had to come to Singapore for a sponsorship commitment while I was here, bitten by a mosquito, had a very severe strain of dengue Dengue. fever, and that put me out of racing. And so I moved to Singapore, thought I'd get into coaching. What I quickly realized was that there was nowhere to do testing. Um, I had always benefited from testing as an athlete, and I wanted to bring that in. So we opened up a lab, and I started to guinea pig because one of the fun things about owning your own lab is you can get on the machines and start to see how you respond to training. And I'd never done any metabolic testing as an athlete. It was primarily lactate and VO2 max. And um, this was the first time I'd seen my fuel utilization. And I was very, very good at burning fat. Um, But in the background, I was also heavily reliant on carbohydrate, even when I was fasted. And that didn't sit well with me. And I thought, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, When I'm going easy, surely I should be able to access and use fat um so one of the fun things about having the lab is i can play guinea pig i started to do a little bit of reading about how you can influence your fat metabolism and i think one of the first experiments i ever had was i just changed my breakfast which at the time was like four pieces of toast with some vegemite white bread to 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 bacon and eggs yeah you know and i've been told so often that bacon and eggs are bad for you and they clog your arteries and this and that yeah and i thought but i'll give it a go because i read some stuff and i thought well let's test this and within two weeks my metabolic profile changed dramatically and I halved the fat on my stomach, um, measured by wow. the calipers. Yeah. I thought, wow, there's something to this. And so I started doing a bit of experimentation on other athletes that were coming in. I kept reading, I spoke to nutritionists and doctors and anybody who would lend me their time. And our philosophy has kind of evolved out of that. And I don't claim to know everything about nutrition. I'm definitely not a nutritionist. Um, but I'm very curious about it because it impacts performance, it impacts health, energy, body composition, and I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, and it's just a, a very hard thing. You know, it's emotional, it's cultural, yeah, it's social, and, it's, and it's
1: so many things. And it's really it's it's become so dogmatic. I think yeah. you know, like Joe Rogan was one of the first sort of big proponents on a mass scale talking about um, keto and uh, and the benefits of, and it just it. You know, got so much credence then, and uh, and then there's obviously like like some really great doctors and like uh, and like it's Gary Taub and like loads of really great influences that sort of are big proponents of it. Who's the guy that does the drive? Peter Atia as yeah. well, yeah. And all these really like you know professional like doctors that have that have a, loads of patients that they work with on longevity and and uh, um, and are sort of sort of pushing this um, this diet. But I think it's like it seems to have, and I I had pretty much four to five years of doing, I think before I thought, saw you the first time, I'd been like about a year or, uh, or so, um, or a year or two uh, on a low carb diet. And I ended up like four years, pretty strict. And and yeah, like my my metabolic, I had meth- One of the fixed. best we've measured, yeah. yeah. It was like nine, yeah, no, and it was
3: like didn't burn fat until like one forty. I, uh, I remember that, and I was actually thought my machine was broken. Like yeah. I was waiting for carbohydrate to kick in, and the you know the speeds going up, the intensity's ramping up. I'm like, is this guy going to burn carbs at any point? You know, is is the machine okay? And then finally, we got close to your lactate threshold, where yeah. we expect you to be burning carbs, and then it just you know shot up, and then finally we had that kind of crossover point. But yeah, yeah, you had me worried for a second. <laughs> well,
1: I, I was you know i was in i was like testing myself in with ketones and i was like fully i think before i came i tested myself and i was like 2.5 millimolars of uh ketones in my blood which is like full-on ketosis like i think over three and a half is like well it's probably a little bit too much kind of thing and um and at that time like my body composition when i first moved to singapore went from i was like 91 kg down to like 76 77 sort of like fighting weight. so i lost a massive Mm. amount of weight. But interestingly, my my actual performance wasn't actually that great. Like the um, mm-hmm. my lactate threshold was like pretty average, really, and um, and yeah. And interestingly, like coming in recently, and I've sort of I still eat reasonably healthy, but I eat more crap and and you know talk <laughs> about drinking coke when I'm racing. I like. Well, the second half of races for me, I'm pretty much fueled on coke because I don't it's really rocket like fuel. Yeah, and it yeah. works and it works for me, and it. I manage my stomach can handle it, and it's basically what I need. I'll try and put some real food in, but um, but yeah, and then my, whilst my um, metabolic efficiency has decreased, actually, like my lactate threshold has, has improved a lot, and mm. I don't know whether that is just because it's been consistency. I've probably been training for a few more years, mm. and um. Uh, and yeah, and actually, but, but now bring in now, once you you mentioned that you, when first time we spoke by changing your diet, you'd like brought down your weight and everything, but then you've like found your equilibrium in your body and your, your weight has been consistent ever since that basically. And so, yeah, I think maybe like just, I think it's a great diet to shed the pounds. Um, but then I think cycling in and then bringing in uh, good complex carbs to be able to help, performance is really important yeah and
2: that's the interesting thing right mate i think um a lot of people get caught up in the labels like you mentioned earlier and you know i've always spoken a lot about a lower carb healthy fat diet never a low carb healthy fat diet because there's some nuance there you know if you're type 2 diabetic severely obese then yeah maybe a low carb like a true low carb ketogenic diet could be of some benefit but if you're a you know training for the Olympic marathon. Uh, you're probably going to benefit from some carbohydrate, whether you would benefit from seven, 800 grams, like I was probably eating. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so. But maybe, measure. let's say, two, 300 grams per day in your big training weeks, like, yeah. absolutely, that's probably beneficial. And so yeah. long as, you know, you cycle in and out of that based on your training load yeah. um, and have laid the metabolic <laughs> hardware and can actually burn fat for fuel, then that's probably what's going to give you your best... Performance, And that's my point of view. My point of view is you want to eat as few carbohydrates as you can without affecting your performance negatively yeah, and doing it in a way which is very good for you, right? Because this is a thing, too. You can be keto or vegan or any diet. Pick a diet and you can do it healthy or unhealthy yeah. um, through the choices of food that you that you choose to consume. And so step one for us is like eat whole foods it's Lit- so simple isn't it yeah. it's
1: just like make your own food and eat primarily you know whether you're vegan but like vegetables real food and ideally like some good protein absolutely
2: like. yeah so if and if it's a rest day your demand for carbohydrate is very low so if you're having a rest day from training wake up have some scrambled eggs and an omelet or something for breakfast have a big salad for lunch, and then have some meat and veg for dinner. It's a low carb diet, it's high in vitamins and minerals, it gives you good nutrition. The next day you wake up, you got a long run, well then think about you know, having some avo on some sourdough or something to, to kick things off. Um, so a little bit of common sense comes into play, but I think a lot of people are getting overly dogmatic in the conversation around the diets. Yeah. Um, I think really you have to look at what you're trying to achieve, and that's you know, good performance, good health, lots of energy, lean body composition. And I think if you're ticking the boxes, quick recovery after training and racing, if you're ticking all those boxes, you're probably on the right path. The the number of grams of carbohydrate per day is kind of irrelevant. I don't give a hoot if I'm in ketosis or not. I just want to feel good.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think where it's kind of leaning to from a diet perspective at the moment that, that I've been following is more towards a satiety based. So like what makes you feel full? So there's a there's a really good website called Diet Doctor, which has historically been very much focused on low carb. It's, um, but they're, they're actual, they're, they've kind of opened up a different side of it, it's focused on satiety and the foods which make you feel full if you eat and and the lowest level of society is are generally the things that you know you shouldn't be eating like cookies donuts, yes. like uh, sugary drinks um yeah all of this stuff which uh which you know when you're eating it's great on the the mouthfeel but you know it's not actually going to be going to do you many favors apart from just give you pure sugar which can and certain times be what your body needs but if you're a high performing athlete but generally um, you can have better forms of that fuel to be able to get into your body absolutely but yeah interestingly i to the data side talking about the the um lactate threshold i think my lactate threshold was 13 and a half kilometers an hour When I was on a keto and then more recently when I've got a much more flexible diet, it's like 15.6 kilometers an hour, which is quite a big change, which I'm trying. I don't know whether that's... I
2: I don't think that would be exclusively a dietary change. No. No. Definitely there could be a contribution from the diet, but I would say that's probably another two or three years of training Mm -hmm. um and consistency that has led to the primary change there yeah yeah yeah
3: because when you're looking at lactate as a physiological marker there's two sides to the coin there's how much your body produces which is actually inherently influenced through your carbohydrate intake because lactate is a byproduct of glycolysis which is where you burn sugar but then also the ability to clear lactate in your system, which comes down to you training and building an aerobic base, increasing your f- slow-titch muscle fibers, which increase, therefore, the mitochondria, which effectively flush out lactate more efficiently. So uh, two years' worth of training at what should have been, and I'm sure it was, a nice low heart rate and below your aerobic threshold would have no doubt torn, grown back all these slow-titch muscle fibers, enhanced them, so much so that any lactate you produce in your system, well, you're flushing it out twice as fast, right? So two years of solid work was certainly gonna almost guarantee that kind of result um, as long as you know what that kind of easy and steady looks like. And that's the tricky part, right? And that's why we might see people two or three times a year just to keep them, you know, running at the right level of effort, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I would put it down to that more, more than anything because the diet can <coughs> fluctuate month to month, right? Yeah, of course. Um, and so that's why we take what we like to think is a more holistic approach to your nutrition, not only just for health and wellness, but also for sports performance, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on that, I'm really interested in some examples of some of the athletes you've worked with and that you've seen um both from doing the testing but also from the the coaching that you've seen that, like vast improvements on and uh, and also some of the pro athletes i'm interested here in singapore some of the the people that we should keep an eye out for sure. th- yeah that, that are well, going to be uh, yeah i'll
2: tell you an interesting story about it. a gentleman we coach so you know he's been coached by us for a little while he's when i met him i think he was 67 or 68 so not a, not a young man um But he was training for for half marathon and marathon. And we came in, we structured a training program for him. He started setting some PBs. He was very happy. Um, As part of our program, we also run nutrition challenges, you know, internally for for our athletes just to teach them about the process, get everybody together. And um, he'd never participated. Then one day out of the blue, I got an email from him thanking me because he'd gone to the doctor, been diagnosed as pre-diabetic, and – that was a real shock to him because he's incredibly lean. He does all this running and he thought, how can this be? You know, like I'm a fit, healthy person. Turned out he was a fit person, but wasn't healthy. And the next challenge we did, he joined, had joined. And at the end of that, um, he had gone back to the doctor and all his blood work had normalized. He was no longer pre-diabetic. And he sent me this lovely email saying, thank you. Like, I used to think nutrition was a waste of time and didn't matter because I was doing so much exercise. But here I was on the verge of being very sick and we've reversed it. I'm now fully healthy. He's gone on, he on his 70th birthday, ran a half marathon PB of an hour 58.
1: Nice. Um, which was pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah.
2: And he, he's doing wonderful things. So he, he's a great example of someone who um, proves it's never too late to make changes for the better. And if you just are consistent every day and put in the work, good things yeah. can happen over time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what uh, what was these this competition or that you do for? Um, yeah,
2: we for, call it as a matter of fat, okay. and it is a metabolic reset. So this this challenge um, that we did with him is is an aggressive. Uh, restrictive diet where we basically take out all the the, the carbohydrate. Essentially, yeah. um, we don't get anyone to measure ketones or anything like that. But odds are, if you do it properly, you're probably in ketosis by the end of the second week. And it's modeled off Phil Maffetone's two week test, if you're familiar yeah. with that. So it's a slightly modified protocol, but essentially, first week is just getting organised. Um, you know, getting rid of all the nasty foods, buying the healthy foods to have them in store. The next two weeks are the actual challenge where you heavily restrict the carbohydrate in your diet. And then the final week is reintroducing the carbs in a, in a specific order to see how you respond and how they make you feel. And on the way we're, we're tracking, you know, feeling and, and
1: outcomes basically via surveys and things like that. Are you doing fat percentage testing as well or as part of that one? That, Cause you do a, do the caliper. Yeah, testing that's, well. that's an
2: optional thing. So yeah. we, Typically when we do that challenge, we'll offer a two for one on the metabolic testing. So yeah. if you want to do it before and after,
1: yeah. mm-hmm. um,
2: you can, and some people take advantage of that, but some people don't want to, and they just want to do the challenge. Yeah. Um, so long as they do it, I'm confident that they're gonna, you know, achieve yeah. a pretty decent outcome. And we've seen some good results with it over, over the years. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and uh, and w- any other examples of athletes that are, that are sort of like verging on like, going pro and that you've been working with and that we uh yeah. we've got
2: a few um sort of elite athletes i don't know if any of the people we're currently coaching have aspirations of being professional that's yeah. still not really a mindset yeah. in singapore culture unfortunately yeah but we're, there's a young guy um ben Koo who we've been working with he's just set the half iron man world record uh, singapore record and he's going after the iron man Singapore record in Copenhagen, wow, which, okay. you know, based on the way he's training and performing, I, I think he's got a very, very good shot at.
1: What was the record he did in the half? Uh, gosh, put me on the spot.
2: Now. Low four hours, nice. um, yeah. I can't remember. And he, he, he kind of screwed up his execution a little bit. He probably could have gone quite a bit quicker too, yeah. um, but he went fast enough to break the record. And in um, Copenhagen, I think the goal is low nine, high eight. Yeah, wow. Um, So he's a solid athlete. And again, this guy's got a full time job. You know, he's not a professional athlete in any sense. Um, We coach a few young, up and coming triathletes who are on the national team. Um, Again, we're now battling with a few of them around national service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Literally, I think three of them. Yep. In, in the space of a month now, uh, all going into national service. For two years. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's a real roadblock from a
1: performance point of view. Interesting, yeah. I mean, this is one of the questions I had for you in terms of, it's definitely here in Singapore has been quite evident that there's a lack of um, professional athletes. I mean, they didn't, at well, the last Olympics in Japan, there wasn't any medals whatsoever. I think the prior one was Joseph Schooling was the only one to get away with the bronze. and Gold? Sorry? He got a gold. Oh, I got a gold, so he did, so yeah. he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's really been a lack of uh, even sort of like world champs or even like the, the Southeast Asia Games, uh, Asia Games, there's been um, a lack of representation from, from Singaporean athletes. What, what do you put that down to and what do you think that needs to be done to be able to, to uh, I suppose, improve the performance of, uh, of athletes from Singapore? Is national service one of them? I mean, do you get a, do you get a pass if you're, a, if you're an athlete and actually just able to use those two years to train full-time?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a hard question to answer. I think um, national service is a significant roadblock. You know, th- Those years are pretty formative years when you're trying to build strength and endurance. Um, thinking back to when I used to race, like I think the first year I went to Germany was 2003. And I think at the time Jan Frodeno and a bunch of the other um, quite elite German athletes were all also doing national service. They also have a mandatory national service. And maybe that's changed, I'm not sure. But my recollection is that they would go in i think it was three months of um basic military training which i assume involves learning how to use a rifle and follow instructions and whatever but outside of that the rest of their enlistment was to represent germany yeah and so they were paid the basic whatever 400 bucks a month or whatever it was like everybody else but instead of having going in and doing the rest of the training they had to go and do their swim bike run training yeah and That to me makes a lot of sense because you're not disrupting their um, training. I mean, everyone saw Joseph Schooling won the gold medal and how over the moon Mm -hmm. the Singapore public was. Like, tell me how that's not a national service. I would argue that's a better national service than Mm -hmm. the majority of these guys going in to to do their training. Um, So I think it, it would be fantastic if it gets to the point where There's something like that where you go and you do the basic training, you learn what is essential and what you need to do to be able to look after the country in in a time of war. But outside of that, go away, do your preparation, continue developing as an athlete. I think it's just a whole culture shift. Singapore has good athletes, Mm -hmm. um, very talented, very capable athletes. It's a mindset issue, both from a public point of view and then also Within we're the athletes and Sing yeah, absolutely, yeah. and also within Singapore. Like Singapore is just such an easy place to live. So generally speaking, athletes who spend any significant time in Singapore, myself included, um, we become softer. We're, we're soft athletes, and that's a problem if you're doing hard sports.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, it's, you, when you say soft athletes, what like how do we make uh, more the athletes more? Uh, yeah, I, you know, struggle. It comes down yeah. to struggle. Yeah.
2: I, you know, I grew up in an era in New Zealand where we had some very, very good triathletes, you know, we went gold, silver at the Athens Olympics in 2004, yeah. um, Bevan Doherty, Hamish Carter, great athletes. And we have a bunch of other athletes who are, you know, World Cup winners, world champions, Ironman champions. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up aspiring to be like these people. And I fortunately got good enough to, to at least know them and to train with them and to hear their stories, you know. And I remember stories of, you know, Bevan Doherty, catching a train to a race, getting a flat, didn't win enough money to get out of the country. So, slept um, with his bike under a tree, caught a chicken, skinned it, cooked it on an open fire. You know, like, and that's what they did to to survive until they raced themselves good enough to actually make a living from the sport. And, you know, I think back to when I was a relatively good athlete in Singapore and I spent some time here in the early 2000s because my parents were here. And I remember a story where I, I. there was a race in Port Dixon and I think it was a few thousand dollars to get first, second, third, you know, like it tapered down, but it was very easy money. And I said to a couple of the guys on the national team, let's all, let's get a little car, let's drive up and, and go and win some money boys. And they're like, Oh, the association won't send us. I said, so what? Like my association's not sending me, let's just go up there. And they're like, Oh, but then we have to pay for it. And, this. and I'm like, yeah, but you're going to win a few thousand dollars if you don't race like a, an idiot. And, um, none of them came. I went up there, won three or $4,000, came back. And I just thought that that's an absolute wrong mindset and it's why they're never going to get very far. Yeah. You know, you, you have to put yourself out there. You have to take some risks and you have to do the work if you want to get good.
1: Yeah. I think it's a, it's a, can be in all parts of life. You know, you hear the, the saying, that's probably a bit o- overused, but, um, you know get 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 comfortable with being uncomfortable and just putting yourself through through pain i think so many people's general lives have focused on just taking away discomfort and we do it for our kids like how do we actually make our kids like less go through less struggle and less pain but um but yeah i think it it you know and then we get into our older years like with these sort of weekend where we're into people in their 40s like that's when people start getting into like doing ultramarathons and doing Ironmans. mans It's like mm-hmm. want to reintroduce that struggle to into mm-hmm. their life to feel alive again almost right mm-hmm.
2: yeah it's it's a weird thing and it's unfortunate because yeah like I said earlier, Singapore is not lacking talent yeah um, there's some very good athletes here it's just none of them put themselves in a position to go and truly Tap into it.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I was down at the, I've been bumping into you down at the track at Evans Road, yeah. uh, the, um, which is a great track, which is one of the crazy things during COVID that the tracks were closed. It was madness, wasn't it? But anyway, it's great mm-hmm. that, they're, uh, that they're open again now. And I was looking at my Strava after, um, and there's a few runners that you're coaching down there that are like super fast, like sub three minute, um, three minute Ks, oh, or like five yeah. Ks. They're like, uh, yeah. yeah, some
3: really talented athletes that you're coaching down there. Yeah, those boys are quick when they need to be, depending on the set that we've got planned for them. They're definitely hugging the lane one and they're, you know, laying down some rubber for sure. But, um, you know, they, they need a track that's of good quality and, you know, something that they can put in some intentional work. And so this is why we've kind of re-engineered how we offer our group training for our athletes since we moved to this new lab space. Because we want to... Be able to cater to what you might may consider the elites, but all the way down to those who are just budding elites. I like to call it, um, who are you know just enthusiasts like me and you, uh, and show that you know to the general public that we can help you no matter what you know what your background is or, or where you're at, and it you know naturally works. I've had people come up to me whilst you're running around, you know, just asking questions, finding out what's going on because they see guys running around super fast, and it naturally just draws attention, you know, because they're you know, getting some really good quality work in. Um, but yeah, these these guys, when they're there and they have, you know, focused time and attention, they really put the work in. Um, outside of these sessions, we can only hope that they just, you know, follow the same, you know, uh, intention, but.
1: Yeah, so are you coaching, are you actually put, putting together full coaching plans for these as well as doing track sessions? Yeah, so
2: we started out with a couple of the better athletes, um, Arif who's, represented singapore in the sea games um for duathlon is a very good athlete you know he won the two times U 10k run a couple of months ago and he did the whole thing fasted um oh, it was during yeah. ramadan okay. he, he didn't eat or he ate breakfast i think before it he did the entire 10k with no um water or anything wow. and then he went the whole day through even post-race nothing to drink or eat Um, and he ran what 30, 33 minutes or 34 minutes, something like that. But anyway, so I've been working with him for a long time and then he started getting some very good results. Um, his friends took notice. Some of them joined us, they got good results and it's kind of Mm -hmm. snowballed a little bit just through word of mouth and observation, I guess. And what's really nice now is we do have this like little high performance team. All of these guys are either studying or are teachers or have full time jobs. Um, but they're all decent athletes and they come together now on a Tuesday. We all support each other. We're all trying to basically, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? Yeah. So we're trying to work it in a way that they're not competitive. They're all just trying to help each other get better. Yeah. And I think it's a nice little group. Yeah. So I work probably more closely with them than Jim, at least on the training front, but I also too don't hold their hand. Yeah. Um, we, we set a basic framework for them. And then we try to teach them how to work the framework to suit what they're trying to achieve and to adjust it around their jobs and other things going on, right? Because, you know, it's one thing to write a program and then have someone religiously follow it, but then they also don't have the capacity to make intuitive decisions when things are going wrong in a race or, you know, when stuff's not quite going to plan. And so what I like to do is sort of obviously be involved, but also kind of let them do their thing to a point so that they are making decisions. And obviously, we're always here if they need help and input and guidance. Like, absolutely, we'll we'll speak with them. Um, But, yeah, I set the high-level plans, create a framework for them. They follow it. Um, we catch up and adjust as we need to based on results and goals and yeah, how, say, how things are flowing
1: the high level plans we based upon what races they've got yep. coming up because yeah I mean if of he's course, training yep. for a 10k triathlon yep. compared to a training for a marathon well, obviously will be a very different yeah plan. and
2: we do have a nice mix in that group right like we've got a couple of guys, um, Giebert and Terry, who are both training to run a fast marathon. Terry just dropped his PB from 259 to 253 at Gold Coast over the weekend. Nice. Giebert dropped um, a 246 in Seoul earlier in the year. So yeah. it's solid runners. Yeah. Um, and then paired with that, we've got, you know, Nicholas Rakmati, Arif, Ben Koo, all triathletes um, training who, who can run bloody quick. You yeah. know, they're, they're solid athletes and together they're all... Um, Good training buddies and and making some good progress.
3: The 5K national champs is a good example of that, right? Which happened. Yeah, we back. went one, two, three. And, did and you really Singapore
2: yeah. 5K champs? Yeah,
1: amazing. That's yeah, really so cool. that was pretty cool. What, what did the so it, it, track sessions? Because my historically, I think this is my performance has improved a lot as well by putting in more hill training and more speed work within because I went uh, quite a long while of basically doing all zone two training and I've realized that actually it's um, yeah you do need to push up your top end as well so I've been yep. introduced track sessions doing hill repeats uh, and doing like a sort of faster endurance run like a good two to two to yeah, uh, hours every week unless you
2: have injury or a sick or something is interfering like we, we have intensity in our programs at all times yeah. Um, obviously, the amount will depend um, mm-hmm. on the person's ability level, but also on where they are in the training cycle, right? Yeah. And generally speaking, we go from very general preparation to a very specific preparation as the race gets closer. So you and,
1: you put more intensity towards the back end of the training. No, block usually, at the usually in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: but what, but like, but from a pure intensity point of view, but. So, so for example, you know, early in a training cycle, we might do a set like, um, 4k alternating hundred meters, easy, hundred meters, very hard. Yeah. Right. So that intensity is very high. Um, but the interval is short, right. And as we progress, the intervals get longer, but the intensity comes down to the point where as you get closer to race, let's assume they're a marathon person they're they're doing, um, marathon pace, which is not, not fast. Yeah. Um, but it's specific to the demands of what they're going to run. Yeah, And so, yeah, generally speaking, we go from general to specific and use intensity very carefully because it is dangerous yeah. um, to try and help people either build fitness and, and perform well or in situations where people are just training for health because we have some people who run just because they want to be healthy and active and energetic um, to to maintain fitness and to, and to continue to progress in that way.
1: Yeah. I, I suppose for, it's interesting then for those track sessions, because people are training for different things, You, you uh, but you also want them to do the exact same session together, right? Do you, do you like balance it to make sure that it's something that caters to everyone? What, do, yeah. what does one of those sessions look it, like? It is
2: hard. So generally speaking, you know, like for, a, for the more elite guys, like they'll often do a similar set. If, the marathoners are doing, you know, I w- maybe I'll give them a couple of extra reps, but they do it at a slightly lower intensity. Yeah. Um, that could be one example. And then for the general public who are just, but, you know, they can't do that amount of volume in the time that we have, they, they, they will do the same intensity, but they'll do less reps or shorter reps. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if the, if the elite guys are doing 800s, maybe the, the public are doing 600s. But, um, got you. But or if the, yeah, the elite thing- guys are doing six or seven reps well then maybe the public are doing three or four reps yeah
3: but what's uniquely different per person is of course what very hard looks like and what easy looks like so everyone should have their own training zones to apply follow the same framework but
2: yeah and we're quite anal about that like we we want people to know what each intensity feels like um my experience is particularly beginner athletes, terrible at gauging effort. Yeah. And so that's where heart rates and paces and powers on the bike come in. Um, obviously, we don't want you to be a slave yeah. to your devices. You absolutely shouldn't. But the devices are very useful for teaching you what your actual physiological effort feels like. And then after time training there, it starts to become more intuitive and you become less and less reliant on the tech. Well, that's the hope.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've I found that actually. Initially when I was doing track sessions I had my coach put in the pace and and it gives you a slight window of what you should be doing. So it was like, yeah, three thirty to three forty and then it would be and if you're outside of that it's beeping, you know you've got to speed up or slow down and then and then it's just like, then you get like a eight or nine intensity and right like, okay, I know what that's going to be roughly. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I think... You know,
3: and what I like to do, this is more for my benefit than it is the athletes. Randomly, this won't be every session, but I'll ask everyone to pull up their pace graphs on their Garmin, uh, you know, app or on the device so I can just check to see if they did follow what we asked. And yeah. what I'm more looking at is just making sure it's as consistent as possible because if you're doing repeats, yeah you know, we can get lazy, we can get uh, it's not tapering change. off
1: too much in the last two and, uh, and, Yeah, last yeah two and, Well, that,
2: right? that's actually an important point, Jim. I think, you know, if you cannot control your training and do what you need to in training, you will never do it in a race under pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the nice things about bringing these more competitive elite guys together is we're giving them an environment to learn self-control mm-hmm. because, you know, often it can just be a pissing contest. You get a whole bunch of young guys, you know, willing to push themselves hard and they um, but themselves they blow themselves the to pieces burn. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and obviously that's not the goal and so we are quite strict we we'll try to be around reigning in their egos and trying to encourage each of them to do what they need to do mm-hmm. to get better
0: yeah.
2: because you know if they're hanging on via ego then their friends are going to be progressing because they're doing what they need to do and they're just going to be doing all this work and not getting the outcomes that they want and so you know, this comes a little bit with maturity and <laughs> with training. So you um, think if you push too
1: hard, there is such things pushing too hard in sessions. that yeah, I would have thought, yes. but, And is that more from the recovery takes longer? Yeah. You're not going to be able to get out and train again the next day or the day after that? or?
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you, my point of view is you want to do enough, yeah. right? If, if you're doing more than enough, well, then there's a cost to that from a recovery point of view. Mm. And it's very hard to sustain a high output for a long time. So training always has to sort of be cyclical. And I think, you know, I've heard Elliot Kipchoge talk a lot about, a lot about how, you know, he, he will always finish the session being able to do a few more reps. Yeah. Like he, he gives about 80% in training. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said for that because you want to be consistent. That, that's the single most important thing you can do to enhance your performance. And if you do things that compromise your ability to do that, then you're putting yourself at risk of getting sick, hurt, losing motivation because you're working too hard. Yeah. Um, And just leaving performance on the
1: table. It's a good point. There's the mental factor of in if you do completely bury yourselves in those sessions, then when it comes to the following week, you're just not looking forward to it. You're like, I don't want to go. and if you
2: bury yourself too often in racing, you uh, in training, sorry, you'll never be able to do it in racing. You, You have a certain depth that you can dig to, and if you tap out too early, like you're leaving performance on the table, you'll just never go there in racing. Yeah, it's too hard.
3: Yeah, that's yeah. and I think what a lot of people don't realize it doesn't take much to train the anaerobic system, right? But it's the fun, the sexy stuff, the thing that's most enjoyable and entertaining. So it's very easily abused and people therefore tend to run too hard too often or cycle too hard too often. Yeah. And it's it's a balancing act. You've got to stress your body to the correct degree to yield the right kind of adaptation and then go full recovery mode. Yeah. And that's the area of improvement for most people, you know.
1: I I tend to think the biggest problem for most people is that they they spend too much time in the kind of gray zone in between the anaerobic and the aerobic it's like they yeah they fall into that like okay I'm not actually improving my top line but I'm not improving my like base so it's uh, a fit in the middle as well one thing I did notice though when you're when you're doing those track sessions is you're you're getting at the end of the session you're making sure everyone does like a really good warm down they're doing a lot of stretching and everything as
3: as part of it as well because also that's not fun right a lot of people hate to stretch or spend time and I know that no one's gonna go home and you know maybe one out of the entire group may go out of their way to do it but um, people are terrible when it comes to switching to recovery so you just got to reinforce it right you got to make sure that they don't injure themselves and get rid of as much of that stress as possible and kick-start that before they obviously train the next day and
2: technique sets the upper limit for where training will take you right so mobility and strength are part of technique if you if if you don't have enough mobility and your hip flexors are too tight, you'll never get a full range of motion out of your stride and you're limiting your performance. So you can go and train as much as you like, but you've essentially capped your ability to improve because you're not willing to do the work to increase your mobility. And I think um, part of the motivation for us also to open the space was to be able to offer these mobility classes and these strength classes, because these are the things that runners don't like to do. Triathletes don't like to do it there's some of the lowest hanging fruit from a performance point of view and also from an injury prevention point of view. So, um, yeah, we use running drills. We use the, the cool down, um, and the stretching as a way to sort of reinforce the importance of developing your form and, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. It's very easy just to run. Um, if you want to be a good athlete and you want to be a healthy athlete, uh, you need to look at the bigger picture and do everything um, mm-hmm. a little better across the board yeah nutrition sleep technical work picking the right gear you know fitting the right gear um, structure of training intensities all these things like you, you got to do it all
1: yeah yeah no I, I'm I think it's a really interesting way to look at it and I, like, I've taken basically a couple of months out doing volume to just like I've got a personal trainer and doing some more high intensity stuff. Just, uh, and I think before I go into like a, my next training block and to be able to put a bit more muscle, a bit more strength. And as part of that, going back to the diet, I've been trying to eat more protein and you realise when you actually, it's a bit like carbs. It's like if you're going to, oh, I'm only going to have 50 grams of carb. It's like bloody hell, that's really restrictive. But if you're trying to eat 150, 200 grams of protein, it's bloody that's really hard. difficult yeah. as well. <laughs> I saw you had your like protein shake coming in, Jim. Like you really do have to, and that that's still in the, you had two of those a day, that's still only 50 grams of protein. It's like, where do you get the other 100 grams from? It's uh mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, is there anything that's, evo- you mentioned all of those like your sleep and, um, uh, and strength and mobility and uh, I suppose there's a lot of the mental side of it as well. But is there anything that's evolved recently in your thinking around any of those uh, um, to be able to support performance?
2: Um, I mean, I, I like to think I'm always evolving. I, I don't want to be dogmatic or ever think that I have the answer. Yeah. Um, so I'm frequently reading, listening to podcasts, talking to anyone who wants to chat. Yeah i remember last time we
1: met although oh, it's four years ago we we're talking about the um the why we sleep uh yeah walker, matt walker, matt walker yeah. and uh, and yeah there's there's still some great content there about sleep do you track personally track your own sleep and
2: <laughs> no yeah. it, it, it drove me crazy it started to play with my mind right yeah, yeah. I, I did for a while and it just got the better of me. And this is a funny thing. Like I actually wrote an article about this on our blog. You know, when I turned 40, I went back to an analog watch like I had when I was a six-year-old. Yeah. Because I was getting, I I just found that the data in my watch was starting to get in my head and just take a lot of the joy out of the process of training. And so obviously I I run a high-performance lab along with Jim and we are huge fans of data, Mm -hmm. but it's only useful until it's not. And you have to be able to recognize when to use it and when not to use it. And so for me, like, I wanted to learn about my sleep. I wanted to understand it. I tracked it. It drove me crazy. And it negatively started to impact my feeling and, and made me nervous about going to sleep and things like that. And so I stopped. It didn't Interesting.
1: help. Interesting. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and I'm one example. But you talk yeah. to my father. My father's been tracking his sleep for years. And he loves it. Yeah. Absolutely loves it, and it's helping him improve his sleep. He's yeah. sleep sleeping better than he ever has, and it's because he's analytical and um, is enjoying the feedback he gets. So you know, like, there's a, there's a time and place, and you know, I stopped using um, pace and heart rate and just went out running to feel. I did that for about a year. It brought the joy back to running. I now have a Garmin back on my wrist, and I'm. So running, you, cut, again. you didn't run with a garment at all for a Not at all. all, not while. At all. Wow. I had a $40 Casio. I bought a $40 Casio yeah. for my 40th birthday yeah. and, and started running again. And it took the pressure off. Because one of the things, mate, I was seeing is, you know, once upon a time, I was a pretty good athlete. Yeah. You know, like my current lactate threshold was my previous warm-up pace, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was a professional athlete. And that's a hard thing to get your head around. Because mentally, I still remember what it feels like to be very fit and to be on the Olympic trial start line and to to push, yeah. but I'm in a 40 year old body. i got two kids, I run a, a small business. You know, there's a lot of things fighting for my attention and it started to, to take the joy out of the process. Yeah. And so then I didn't do it much. And then, you know, that's also not good for business. People like to see me out sort of practicing what I preach. Yeah. And um, so I was like, right, you know, th- this is the problem. I'm just gonna stop using the, the devices and not care so much. And yeah, it was instant. I started enjoying running again because I enjoyed it. I got fitter again, and it, it kind of snowballed to the point where I got back. I've got a little bit of fitness back, and um, you know the, the numbers are back on my watch. But I've also kind of in that time been doing some mental work to try and reframe things for myself because yeah. I'm never ever, even if I kick the kids out, um, got rid of the job, turned pro again, like I'm never ever going to be as fast as I was. Yeah, you know, like just not going to happen. So. I'm going to reframe it as everything I do from now on is a 40 plus, you know. So all my PBs are 40 plus PBs. And now that's the the objective is I want, you know, I want to get down to a sub 40 10K again, like significantly under sub 40 10K, which I think it won't take me too long if I can just stay healthy and throw some weeks of training together. But I think it's important to understand what you're optimizing for and how you tick so that you can... um, get the best from yourself you know recently too we've had a few athletes who I've I've told to get off strava because strava is playing with their mind they're seeing what other athletes are doing they're feeling bad about themselves and about the training they're doing they're comparing themselves to others and that's just not productive right like yeah. you know you, you don't know the context of any session on strava You know, you don't know what zone they're in. You might see the pace and it's faster than yours, but are they running flat out and you're running easy? You don't know. Um, And and so I can see how these types of things play with people's minds. And I think with COVID, mental health is fragile for a lot of people as it is. And then when you start tracking everything, um, it can get quite overwhelming. So I think you need to know how you tick and not be scared to disconnect if you think that that's gonna help.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. It's really interesting. I think it's around like goal setting and and being realistic within and like setting goals which are gonna stretch you, but also not being so hung up on previous glories that that you're going to- I'm not even a fan
2: of goals anymore. You're not? No, I don't like them. I like a direction
1: yeah i but but that's why I, I, but when i say goals like you to have something to work towards yeah because I, I think one of the big problems and i'm sure you found this in the business without any races or anyone to be able to set something to work towards it just feels like you're going through the motion and what you're really doing it for and doing it for longevity, doing it for, I just want to be like still healthy when I'm in my 60s or 70s. I mean, that's a pretty good reason. It's it's a good reason, but it's too untangible. It's too too far away to actually, to to really drive it forwards and it's too easy to go, oh, well, I won't bother going today. But if you know that you've got something coming up in the next two months, if you don't go and do that session today, then you're probably going to, Really struggle on the actual event if you don't do the work. I agree,
2: having that direction is useful. What I find interesting is where someone says, My goal is to run a sub 40 minute 10K. And then they run 40 minutes and four seconds. And they feel like a failure and they're really disappointed. And I say to them, Well, tell me how running four seconds is changing the quality of your life for the better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it's an arbitrary number that you made up to try to make yourself feel good, and it's had the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. You ran the best you could on that day. You prepared well, you executed well, you did everything right, and you missed out by four seconds. Like, is that something to be disappointed about? Like, absolutely not. But was it a PB
1: for them? and so I think that's what it comes down to It's like I, I don't think like being at best time I think but if you can be better than yourself in as been in other or uh, improving yourself then it's got to be a success yeah.
2: Yeah. Ab- absolutely and that's how you frame it but at some point too as you age that's no longer yeah. an option yeah. and I'm a good example of that Yeah. so again like tying your sense of self worth to these outcomes that are not necessarily completely within your control As well is a big problem you know you could go and run and have the best run of your life which ordinarily would have been a pb but because of the way the race worked and the funneling of athletes towards the end you got stuck behind a bunch of athletes and that ended your pb right and so if if your whole thing is built around these things that are not necessarily completely within your control then it can take a lot of joy from the process but i'm on board with the sense that like absolutely we should all be trying to be better um than we were yesterday i think you know i know i certainly am and jim is and i know you are as well like i think that's a healthy thing but i think when you tie yourself to the outcomes um that starts to be a yeah can a little bit can end sketchy be,
1: yeah and can end up being demotivating as well. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah,
3: Yeah, I think we had an athlete recently just run Gold Coast and he ran a PB, but he was two minutes off a of BQ, so Boston Qualifier, okay. and he was gutted. And, you know, he messaged me because he came into the lab a, a week or two before the race to get his zones and understand what his race pace might be. But uh, yeah, everything. You know, he was saying was about how upset he was and disappointed. I might be. You ran a PB, right? Like eleven minute PB. You should be too. happy, no? Wow. You know, he like, he like that's awesome.
2: Three thirty-seven. Like yeah. okay. And that's but he's there.
3: like, but ah, oh, two minutes off though. You know, that was his response. I'm like, doesn't matter. Like, yes, it's it's it sucks. I get it. But if you're closer, you're one step closer. It's gonna happen. You know what I mean? And it's just you got to look on on the bright side and not like Ben said, get too attached to that and you know make that yourself work, I so. also
2: find it interesting too like he's like how are we going to change my training for the next block I'm like well, we're not you know yeah, like, well, it's yeah. like, we're, we we're just going to gonna continue to yeah. build on it you just sit an 11 minute PB what we are doing is working you just didn't have enough time mm-hmm. um, and this is the thing like athletes are always trying to think that there's a quick fix or yeah. we adjust and it's just bread and butter work for mm-hmm. as long as you can mm-hmm. I think. and th- if you can stay motivated and healthy and injury free and just play the game for a very long time yeah. you will get ridiculously good relative to what you used to be. But people are always looking for the shortcuts.
1: We did mention it last time we talked about everyone's looking for that silver bullet. Uh, and in everything in life is like what is the one diet that I can do? Or what is the one training thing I can do that can just solve everything? What's the
2: what? piece of equipment I can spend money yeah. on?
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, What is that that's gonna fast track? Okay, what, what how would that watch yeah. mean what trainers what like getting yeah. like the carbon plated shoes gonna give yeah. me like
3: And I think that's what stemmed our kind of like business logo or like cut race times, not corners, you know? Yeah. It's kind of comes through all of this sort of thing that we receive and there's no cutting corners, you know? Yeah. There's no things that can get you there faster. It's just... Yeah, it's just You get out what you put in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: it's quite simple.
3: Yeah, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of, like, low-hanging fruits that people drop the ball on, which is part of what I do here and help to, you know, bring to light. You know, like, taking electrolytes when you run in a hot and humid climate, which... Believe it or not, a lot of people drop the ball on. Yeah, I, I haven't until recently. Like I, you know. I won
1: a race and got loads of Bix hydration thing, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I probably should have been supplementing with sodium but and uh, y- potassium and magnesium.
3: You, you just don't know what you don't know, though, right? It's not like this is forced upon you uh, as soon as you start, you you know, your endurance journey. Um, but that's why we've you know operate the lab because we want to help as many people as possible educate themselves on the fundamentals tick those boxes and then build from there you know in fact i had i had a whatsapp message early today from a guy who is in charge of one of the local cycling teams and they just had a race and two of his guys nearly ended up in hospital because they- from really suffered. Yeah, so one guy was in a medical tent, you know, with an IV drip and another guy was riding and didn't know where he was. They are all, you know, super dizzy, dehydrated, suffering from the heat. And I'm like, this should never happen. You know, These and these are fast cyclists and they're very invested, but it's small things like this yeah. that it just, you know, overlooked and they've nearly, you know done themselves in and that should never happen and so yeah we're, especially we're, if you're on a bike
1: as well yeah, and you do like you do pass out it's not going to be a so i'm very fun. keen
3: to work with those guys and you know start to tie in with them and help them out because it's going to do them some wonders i think you know
1: yeah just on that before we kind of wrap up as well we talked about some of the other testing. we didn't get deep into the sweat testing but the, the i i take it the process of that is it just to how much um how much sodium magnesium potassium you have in your it, your, your excreted sweat out, that's coming out of your body and then you know how much you're actually losing uh, yeah losing over
3: a, Yeah so we partnered with precision uh, hydration well now precision fuel and hydration well over was it 5 years ago must be it was just know, just after, after while, I got here yeah. and um the main reason was because they offer this sweat testing and you know being in hot and humid Singapore we were like, we need this. And so ever since then, um, it's you know worked wonders for our athletes because the key takeaway is we collect a sample of your sweat, which is totally non-invasive. You don't even have to exercise, which is the beauty of it. And a lot yeah. of people are surprised by, yeah. you know, the, uh, the sweat inducer will make you sweat. We collect the sample and we feed it through the machine. And immediately it will tell us exactly how much sodium you're losing per litre of sweat lost and so and, and
1: that doesn't change regardless no, of it's, the intensity it's, yeah. of your training no so
3: it's inherently gen- uh genetic the concentration but yeah. your sweat rate meaning how many litres of sweat you lose per hour is dependent on the environment the intensity and so on so your yeah. homework would be okay i know that i'm losing let's say 900 milligrams of sodium now i've done the test but you don't um, need to then know how much what volume of sweat you're well, the, and and So how do you actually find that out so then? yeah it's it's, it's real easy. simple actually. You just yeah. need a set of scales. You hop on oh, yeah, sure, before sure. minimal clothing. Yeah. Uh, obviously clothe up, go out, do your training, come yeah. back, reweigh yourself again, but you gotta dry yourself off. And then yeah. just factor in how much fluid you took in, keep an eye on that, and then yeah. you just do the math. So let's say I'm eighty kilos, I go for an hour run, I drink half a liter in that hour of running, and I come back and I reweigh and I'm seventy nine. Well, I've lost yeah. a kilo, which is the same as a liter. And then you but drank then I had uh, half a, half half a liter, liter. So I had lost a liter oh, and a half. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I've done my tests I know I'm losing, let's say 900 milligrams of sodium. So yeah. in that run, I would have lost a good 1,400 milligrams, which I would have benefited from if I had replenished some of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, and I, the goal
2: is not to replace a one for one. The goal is just to limit the losses. Yeah. Okay. So you know, if you're losing 1,000 milligrams of sodium per hour, you don't have to replace 1,000 milligrams of sodium per hour. You just have to t- consume enough yeah. that your performance does not start to suffer. Yeah,
3: yeah. I believe about fifty percent is the minimum, right? That's what Andy uh, quoted us when he yeah. we did a team talk.
1: And so this is where it does get a bit squirrely, is because you don't know actually from your food exactly how much, especially when you're eating out and stuff. You don't know how much sodium you're actually consuming in your normal diet mm-hmm. to be able to to be able to know what how much you need to supplement.
3: Yeah. And, and a lot of people, actually, the number one question they ask is, can you take too much sodium, you know, so at least in the sport specific stuff. And my go to humorous uh, response is, well, have you had ramen noodles? And usually being Singapore, it's, of course, a yes. And, you know, in one serving, you'll get 2,400 milligrams of sodium. Yeah. And a lot of people wouldn't know that. Right. And that's kind of almost a staple here. And yeah. so talking about day-to-day nutrition i'm sure people are having a lot of sodium without realizing yeah but in my opinion it's the complete wrong time you know you don't need sodium when you're sat at your desk doing nothing and not perspiring it's relatively unhealthy but when you do need to replenish the sodium is when you're losing it which is in through any form of exercise for what i would consider to be a respectable duration which you know here because it's hot you're looking at an hour and up yeah, if you're in other parts of the world where it's nowhere near as hot or humid, where you're not going to sweat as much, well, then less so. But,
1: yeah, uh, and, and so you would suggest, say in Singapore, where um, you would uh, supplement that during during run, or would or before, so or we do a, after so, do a preload. So so
2: okay. t- and not for every session, obviously. Yeah. If you're going for a half an hour run the next day, like little benefit in preloading on sodium. But if you have a three hour long run tomorrow, and it's an essential part of your preparation, then doing the a preload before. the night before having another preload the morning before you start yeah um is wise and then obviously supplementing through the run yeah um as you go if you need to
1: yeah it's really interesting and, and how does it affect performance if you i mean you talked about the cyclists that were you know getting in to go on a drip that's an extreme case but actually like actual performance wise how well, does it impact it
2: an obvious way is if you hydrate properly your heart rate will stay lower because okay. your your body is not being stressed as greatly as it is if you don't consume anything. And so from our point of view, like from a coach's point of view, if we can keep your heart rate down, you're gonna keep your pace up. And so the overall performance benefit you'll get from that session is gonna increase. Yeah. And the, right. way, and the
3: way in which that happens is the retention of fluid, right? Yeah. That's sodium's main role as a mineral. You retain the fluid and pull it into your bloodstream. And the goal is simply to maximize blood volume. If you can keep your yeah. blood volume for as high as possible, for as long as possible, from start to end. You're going to carry more oxygen heart rate, to your muscle. Yeah, I mean, yeah. your heart won't have to beat as many times per minute to get oxygen to the working muscle. And yeah. therefore, you're going to be able to maintain a much higher output for longer due to that fact, at least in Singapore. Once again, like I have to reference that because it's so extreme People can really fall off Yeah It's less likely to happen In cooler climates Well I but. mean
1: Yeah I mean Most of our listeners Are around the Asia region As well anyway So yeah, okay. pretty much We're in the summer Everywhere Even yeah. in Hong Kong At the moment Whilst yeah. it's cool in the winter yeah, People are in right in the midst Of it now With like 30 I was just in Vietnam This week 36 degrees it was And I was running In wow, Da Nang And rough. just melting Damn. And uh, and yeah And it makes me really. When I was in Hong Kong So in Hong Kong You couldn't drink the tap water You used to like Buy like the gallons yeah. of water I used to buy Distilled water Water. And I'd, I'd distilled water is like the worst Without, thing you yeah. can do because there's no minerals or anything <laughs> with it. And that's what like the, when the like wrestlers or mixed artists they use to cut weight. They'll dr- gall- drink loads of gallons of uh, of distilled water mm. and then they'll go and sit in a sauna and it basically flushes their whole body out. They'll just continue to sweat and it will yeah. just like basically boil themselves to cut weight and to lose all this water. Mm. So I mean for anyone that like, and that makes me think cool, when I go out and drink and I like, I will just be drinking from taps I won't be adding anything to it so just drinking normal water without any additional sodium is probably not a great idea because you're probably going to flush all of the minerals out of
3: your system so yeah the the definition for that is hyponatremia where you effectively just drown your body and you further dilute any sodium left in your bloodstream which is quite common here if people run marathons and they assume water is the answer without electrolytes by the time they do get three plus hours in of just non-stop water without electrolytes they start to get dizzy delusional and you know some people have suffered here because they kill just, you. yeah and it yeah. could die if you if you're you know aggressive with it and so this is why every year when we partner with this <coughs> with, when we partner with singapore marathon we push the sweat testing because a lot of people learn you know very quickly that oh i was going to run the race just with water i can't tell you how many times i've, I've t- spoke to people at the booth and we're like no please don't here's electrolytes like i actually read
2: recently that more people die from hyponatremia hyponatremia than from actual dehydration in in marathons yeah Yeah. interesting yeah it's sadly
3: quite common right and we know someone who almost did and they were luckily lucky to have an aid station nearby nearby to put them on an iv drip and bring them back around you know but um yeah it's such a an an easy win like we say low-hanging fruit all I'm asking you is to put in some kind of electrolyte tablet into the water that you can drink and you'd be amazed how much better you can feel. And therefore there's some great the
1: options. Like you've got none, you've got the, the Bix hydration, which I've, uh, started using recently. And
3: then there's got the
1: one that performance, what's it called again?
3: So there's SIS there's yeah. the, there's the Noon, Goo, Pure. Bix, it's Pure. The, yeah. Um, but the, the main thing that is as, as a piece of advice for whoever's listening, just the one thing you wanna be looking for is how much sodium you get per serving. Typically, yeah. the higher the sodium, the better the quality. Yeah. Um, and so you gotta keep this in mind uh, when you go out and look and you're going shopping, just have a quick look in the back, see how much you get. Because
2: I think things like loo- Noon, even though they're cheap, they have very little sodium relative yeah. to like the precision Three, and hydration.
1: Minimum, yeah. Okay, so it's interesting, the uh, the prime, the, uh, the um, oh, what are they? The prime drink, anyway, Logan Paul, and, oh, yeah. um, I know what you mean. and it's basically all potassium. It's got no sodium <laughs> in it, and it's just like it's positioned as a sports drink. And there's yeah. a I don't know the, the, there's a guy a YouTuber called More Plates More Dates. I forget his um, I forget his name, but he did a whole thing around how actually the content of it is just useless as a sport drink. Well, not useless, but it just it doesn't have the level of sodium that you actually yeah. require. Yeah, well, I mean,
2: you, you look at it like you, you've seen after races where people have. Been laid down and put an IV in their arm because they're severely dehydrated. Well, what's the makeup of saline? Like, primarily sodium. Yeah. There's a little bit of magnesium, a little bit of potassium. Calcium. Calcium. But it's primarily, like yeah. the yeah. bulk of that is sodium. And so it, clearly sodium is really the most important And it's important always, mineral. from
1: a dietary perspective, it's always been too much salt in your diet, too much salt. But if you're an athlete, you actually should be supplementing in your, in your meals. I, and, um, I yeah. think that
3: stems from the fact that most foods... That, that are salty are quite processed refined yeah. sugary carbs and so that's why it's not encouraged in your day-to-day to keep your sodium down because yeah. people typically overconsume consume without realizing because what do we typically like to eat refined sugar and carbs right and so yeah. sodium creeps its way in there without realizing yeah, i mean if
2: you're living on instant noodles you're going to be getting a ton <laughs> of sodium but i would yeah. argue that, that that's not the best strategy but if you're eating a whole food diet yeah. um and you're out doing a lot of training like Having, you know, vegetables. adding some like Himalayan sea salt onto your, onto your food and yeah. taking some electrolyte drinks for your key sessions, there, there's yeah. little downside yeah. to that. And yeah. not only is it going to help you keep performance up, it's going to help you recover better afterwards that then further accelerates performance.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Because hydration is just like chess. You have to be two or three moves ahead of yourself in order to win. That's how yeah. I like to look at it. So... If you are doing long course events and you are going to be on your feet for two plus hours, it's a non-negotiable. You have to yeah. preload. You have to then maintain. Uh, and that will allow you to make these goals or you know timing aspirations more and more likely to happen, at least in this part of the world. you know. Yeah. Um, and so it, due to that fact, it's a very, you know, I'm a broken record. No matter who I see, you could come in for a lactate test. I'll still ask you, are you hydrating properly? Because it's a very easy piece of advice to give someone yeah. for them to get some value and, you know, benefit.
1: I think that's a really good uh, spot to, to wrap up on. We didn't, didn't cover that too much last time, but uh, it's also just opened my eyes and I've only really started thinking about it recently and have, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be a lot more focused on it. But, um, but gents, always a pleasure to catch up and, and uh, wax up? lyrical around, uh, around endurance sports that we're all so passionate about. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. I highly recommend anyone to sort of come down to get their testing done and see where their training zones are. Um, get a bit of data. Don't
0: don't live and die by
1: the data as you talked about. But it's good <laughs> to get like a um, a good starting point, especially at the beginning of a training block if they're working towards a race. But um, but yeah, always a pleasure to chat chat with you guys. Cheers, yeah, Scott. Good yeah. to chat. So the truthful story, if they ever Stop the complaining, cause things ain't that bad. Mr. Rick Stockfish, how is it going, sir? Good to see you as always, Scott. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Yeah, good to good to catch up. And um you've uh you've been in to see the coached guys before. Was it was it good uh listening back to um what they've all been up to?
0: Yeah, and I'm just really as you said in the interview, just great that they're still going, frankly. Like businesses like that um must have really struggled during the pandemic. So the fact that they've um they've evolved what they do and that they're still that they're still thriving is really good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I caught up with him on separately, and it was a it was definitely a struggle for them at some point, like getting getting like. um kind of relief and business loans that the Singapore government was giving out. It, it was like they said it was a real struggle trying to be able to get some of that. But you know, they've persevered as you um I think that they've probably taken a, a leaf out of their own book in terms of coaching how they coach athletes and just uh just you know re- resilience and grit and determination will get you through. Uh, and they've got a great business and it's uh, it's um they're just I always enjoy catching up with them even listening back and I still pick up a lot more things and a lot more learnings from them i mean i you know being uh uh being ben being a like professional athlete and he was like he was legit you know with, with the kiwis who were who were you know the silver gold medall- medalist at olympics and he's training with these guys like he was at, he was at the very elite but also you know, he And I will put the link to the original podcast in there that we caught up with him. But he, yeah, he said, um, you know, got really bad dengue and he's had and he like had a pretty sort of tough ride at, um, towards the end of his, um, his well, his, cut, his athletic is like his professional athletics career short. But yeah, he's, built, he's built a great business.
0: And um, yeah, I, I sort of learned a lot from the chat. Yeah, they're a good team, aren't they, Ben and Jim? Like uh, they've got different different strengths that they bring, and um, having that guy who's just sort of nerding out on the numbers and you know building out the plans is 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 a real benefit. But yeah, it's um, and and you know as you said, you you know, great seeing them at the track with the groups of groups of people that they're training. Um, It's uh, yeah, a real little local success story. Yeah. I I like some of his, the way he talks
1: around goal setting as well. And you can see how he's like really been able to improve a lot of athletes in terms of, you know, the, the example that he gave of the, um, of the marathon runner, the elder that that was, he did an 11 minute PB, but he was disappointed because he'd missed out on his Boston time by like two minutes. And, uh, and I think, and yeah, what are we going to change to be able to improve for next time? we don't need to change anything you've just done 11 minute pb like we're on the right track and and i'm a big believer in that there isn't you know people just like what how can i immediately get better and and i think that i've found and it's just like a um, an average athlete that just consistency you can't beat it if you're just getting out there and just consistently doing the miles and then when you don't do the miles, you notice you drop off. But if you put in the miles, and I think that can actually be not just from a sport profession, but also from a professional perspective. I always like have, you know, meet people that oh, I want to get promoted to this role, this role. And it's just like, do the miles, you know, do the, like, do the job, do the thing and just get it like, and then prove yourself and don't try and push yourself to the next op- opportunities too quickly until you really, um, yeah, you've really sort of succeeded in the current one. But um... I saw something, on,
0: probably on LinkedIn actually, to, to your point about work and life. The other day, and it was, it was a guy who's tracking his fitness routine, but basically, you know, he tracks the number of press ups, number of pull ups, banks, and whatever else he does a day, but he's tracking them in an Excel sheet just to see the cumulative effect of training over time, just the sheer volume, you know, the, the, the work that's gone in. And he closed. I don't know who the guy was, but he closed the post by saying something like success is doing ordinary things an extraordinary amount of time. Yeah. And there was something in that, that like you're just building up over time and suddenly you've done a, just a, a, a ridiculous amount of work. Um, but take and, it, and it's about the consistency, it's about showing up.
1: 100 percent 100 percent and yeah we, we obviously finished off at the chatting about sweat testing which is something that has really come to mind for me more recently I think it's just since I actually got some Bix Nutrition uh, or um which is like tablets you put in water which just has your sodium potassium magnesium but I've never really bothered I've had taken salt tablets a little bit before but I've kind of never really um taken much credence to it but actually i do think the amount you sweat in singapore i mean yeah. you being in in barcelona now obviously it's hot in the height of summer but you still don't sweat to the scale that you do then the hum- humidity in singapore but i do think it's important and it's something that i've been yeah trying to focus on a, a lot more still haven't done the test though
0: yeah i mean it'd be interesting it was interesting hearing you talk about your just your increase you know improved performance over time again to that point of, of putting in the hours. And you and I were just talking off Mike a minute ago about you know even even a small drop in your volume of training and you've noticed a difference even in the speed work. Um, yeah. So I think tracking that through the tests and Jim, Jim was saying there you know it doesn't have to be that regular you know be six months or so. Um, I think is is really useful. It's certainly something I'm planning to do. I'm coming back off off a you know, fucking annoyingly long-standing injury, and uh, I think something to do to I, sh- I should be benchmarking where I am now. Should be coming up with a plan you know to to minimize the risk of getting injured again so um you know maybe i'll be tapping in that now that they're doing a lot of their online consulting um i that's something they should be
1: doing. yeah i think a, a math test is just a really good way to do it it's free and uh and we talk about that a lot more on the original uh podcast which we have yeah. a link to in the, the if you haven't heard before i really recommend going back and and having a, a, a listen to but um but no, uh, top blokes, always uh, enjoy catching up with them. And uh, I saw them at the track this Tuesday as well. As they, were, they were both down there. And um, uh, now I'm um, going to join them a few, um, a few more times on, on Tuesdays. But uh, mate, you must have been following some of the sport in, uh, in, in Europe this, uh, this summer, notably Tour de France. In fact, have you, I, I did not spoken to like this, but have you watched the Netflix documentary yet?
0: I started watching it, yeah. Isn't it good?
1: oh man i like i don't know how you started and have
0: not finished i binge watched in literally a day i think i did an all-nighter yeah yeah. Yeah. no and it was amazing watching it watching the races i don't know how much you followed it um we didn't get a chance to go up and and watch any of the stages but um it was a great watch.
1: yeah I, i think even it was just great it was good timing that the netflix doco came out just beforehand but yeah, Lingard, obviously, like, absolutely just a machine. I know uh, had was coming off an injury. I think he broke his wrist going into this, like, a while before going into this tour. So, I hadn't had a full this full training block. But also good to see a couple of Brits could finish. Is it third and fifth, the, the Yates brothers? I think yeah. it's third and fifth. So, I think. Um. Yeah, and I like I uh, I I don't know if you've seen the episode with Tom Pidcock where he does uh, where he wins the race in the uh, in the Netflix doco from the previous year, but he's my favourite rider, man. I think he's just I saw him win the cross country mountain biking in the uh, Japan Olympics, and was just the most incredible ride. Just so he, his the way he like manages his bike, like his balance. He's um he's just a really good technical rider, but he just um. Yeah, so it was good. Um, he had a, like a pretty good, pretty good tour again, but that that was a, that was a good follow.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I should have done my research report. I was I was reading or listening to someone talk about this this generation, like the Pidcock generation, I think they called it, of like just multi multi faceted, multi talented riders who can kind of excel at all these different disciplines. And I think it I think it was one of the sort of it wasn't Chris Froome, but it was one of that that generation qu- querying whether they were going to burn out and whether they'd have the, 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 the relatively long endurance careers that, that that previous generation had. I mean, I see no reason they couldn't. If, if you look at across most sports now, you know, athletes are performing longer and older. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great to see. And you know, like that, that key rivalry looks set to, to, to run and run for at least a few They're years. They're
1: both so young, right? Are they like late 20s? I think, yeah, or not even... Yeah, they're they're, like, yeah, they're, they're like late, late 20s. Um, how old is he? 20, 24. Yeah, 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 so not even uh, mid 20s. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and Pagacha, uh, how, how old is he? Yeah, sorry, no Pogaccia's, yeah,
0: he's 24. Lingligard, how old is he? 26. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a good, yeah. good few years, isn't it? they sure Um, have and so that rivalry is going to be
1: going on for a for a long time but um yeah very entertaining i'm almost i didn't watch it religiously this time around but i'm kind of now waiting for and like really looking forward to the netflix doco comes out next year and uh, uh it's gonna gonna be a good one have you been following sean conway the iron man 102
0: yeah, so I was about to send you that link and then you mentioned you wanted to shout it through, but yeah, what was it, 102 and 100, 105 in the end over 105 Yes, days. The,
1: the previous record was 101, consecutive Iron Man. And this is a guy who, he, he talks about first, furthest, and... I forget what the other one but like um and so he's done things like the longest Ironman like or the longest um triathlon where he did like the full length of yeah. the UK. He's done some really cool stuff. Um but yeah, he ended up doing 105 consecutive days. Uh, it's just an incredible feat. Like what an amazing yeah. amazing performance. Um in fact I'm just on his site. I'm just looking okay. yeah, at some, some of the day other day day stuff day.
0: he's done. There's some cool stuff, and actually, to our point about consistency and and building up over time, he did a he did a challenge that he calls what does he call it here? The four nine six challenge, which is over a month. It's Actually, quite a nice challenge for people getting back into running, where you start on the first of the month by running one k, two k the next, three k the next, and you end up with thirty one on the last day, but almost five hundred k in the month. Um, that's quite a nice little way of easing back into things. Yeah, he's done some. He's done some very cool stuff.
3: Yeah
1: no it's it's impressive and um yeah i think that just also consistency because i think he went back and actually this was his second attempt to get the ironman uh, ironman yeah. record but um yeah talking of records where uh, uh tomo's been going to do the uh, the grand slam in the us um he was uh, he was planning to to do a record where he did all five of them in under 100 hours was his goal he shared with me yes, um, yes. and was actually on track uh so I don't know if you saw but uh, there's been some crazy floods uh, up in um the north uh so where the Vermont 100 is um and so the race was cancelled so he flew out for it and if he missed out on that, then he meant he missed out on the on the Grand Slam. But he uh, he like quickly managed to find uh, another race in uh, in the U.S. It was I think it was the Devil's Gulch Hundred. Yeah, I saw. Uh, sorry, and he
0: won that,
1: didn't he? He won it. Yeah, it took him slightly longer. It was like twenty twenty, just under twenty four hours. Uh but the old Dominion, he came second overall in 1852. Yeah. And then Western States, I think he came 26th male, 39th overall in 20 hours yeah. and 20 minutes. I mean, obviously the Western States has like the global elites um running. Yeah, yeah. So um that's an incredible um uh to finish 39th is amazing, but uh I haven't caught up with him in a, in a while, but I'm gonna um gonna gonna speak with him soon. But it will uh yeah, it will be good to see him uh yeah, drop a little record there if he does. Uh, does the 400 miles and the fastest a cumulative
0: cumulative time would be a pretty cool, yeah. cool feat. Yeah, I mean it's not Asia, but just on on a, on a tangent there. Like you saw Courtney Dewalters runs at Western States and Hard Rock, so she's now got the cumulative fastest time I think for the two races. Um, you know, outright, which is pretty amazing. Um, set a record on both, and they're only a couple of weeks apart, so
1: yeah That's and they great. were like crazy records as well weren't they um yeah yeah talking of western states did you see esther silag out there yeah. she crushed That's it she, if she got a podium right she finished third um
0: yeah um she, yeah like not in a, uh, not
1: in, uh, which would have been very close to a uh, previous sort of um record um record time as well like Oh my god she's absolutely flying at the moment and um and I'm very pleased to say she's going to be um she's going up to uh, VMM actually she's going to be um Amazing. she's going to be going be running VMM in um uh 22nd of September um so yeah third place she finished in uh, in Western States just to, yeah um yeah like a crazy um uh yeah fourth fastest time in western states history boom such a legend <laughs> i can't wait to, i can't wait to um to see her up in um uh up in uh uh sapper in uh in september shame you're not making out for it we'll um so uh 10th anniversary vietnam mountain marathon 21st of september we've got uh it's gonna yeah they've got some really cool people like heading up to to race for it i is sending through the full agenda but we are we're, we're going to go in support I'm going to be like hosting a few of the um uh, a few of the interviews a few of the presentations and stuff so um last nice. year w- when i went david lloyd was just running around like a blue ass fly race directing doing all of the uh doing all the presenting giving all the awards out and just and he was just everywhere it's almost like he cloned himself uh so i'm going <laughs> to help him out a bit this year and uh, and do some of the duties and also going to run as well but um yeah i'm not quite in the i've got six weeks to train but yeah not quite in the, the shape i need to be for it but um yeah should be fun it's gonna it's, uh, it's quite a few people coming up from singapore as well it's gonna be a good good community run and some some amazing elites heading up there yeah and we'll get those get those interviews on the podcast and look forward to hearing that. Yeah, for sure. Nice one, Rick. Good to catch up as ever, mate. I'm, enjoy the uh, the Spanish, it's the rest of the Spanish summer.
0: Yeah, you too, mate. And uh, nice interview there and um, all the best to, to Ben and Jim. Um, look forward to the next one. Good stuff. Speak soon. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad.